welcome to the Make Things Better podcast, a podcast about communities, people and place. The Make Things Better podcast is brought to you by Sortified, a progressive social enterprise that works with people, communities and community organisations to tackle social inequalities, improve lives and to make things better. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Make Things Better, the Sortified podcast. This edition is an in-conversation episode featuring a chat between Sortified's production director, Jill Collins, and Dr. Ali Tomlins, a clinical psychologist with specialisms in dementia and communication. The chat between Jill and Ali was taken from a webinar that Sortified hosted on the 14th of July that was part of Sortified's Yes And project, designed to support carers and people affected by dementia to have positive conversations, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. The project was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund. You can find out more about the project and other work that Sortified have carried out at www.sortified.com. Now over to Jill and Ali. Hello, hopefully you can all see me and I've just been paused there for a while. My name's Jill, I'm from um, Sortified. Thank you so much for finding the space and time today to come and join us to have a conversation with Dr. Ali Tomlins. If you've got any questions at all during, during this um, live stream, there's a Q&A question should get across with your screen. If you submit them, and then right at the end, we'll leave plenty of time and squeeze in as many questions as we can. So today, we're joined by Dr. Ali Tomlins. Um, Ali's, there's a long accolade, I'm gonna try and be as short as I can, but um, she's a clinical psychologist with years and years of experience um, in the NHS in acute and urgent care. Uh, and in private practice alongside a lecturer at Surrey University and an executive coach specialising in um, psychotherapy-based techniques and also award-winning for mental health and patient safety services. I was really grateful to meet Ali um, during those times of her award-winning services uh, (laughs) where she designed loads of psychology-led services for people affected by dementia across Southwest. So while we're here today, um, Ali's going to draw on her clinical expertise and um, her passion for positive conversations. And we're going to talk a little bit about some insights and tips on the most common and really often difficult daily conversations that are experienced during the dementia journey. Um, more importantly, we're going to talk about how to find and have positive conversations now and in the future. I'm going to hand you over to Ali. Hopefully you can see her. We've had a little bit of technical difficulty, so it might be me and Ali popping up in the side boxes, but please bear with us. So welcome, Ali. Thank you. Gosh, that's a high pedestal to fall from, Jill. Thanks for the intro. Um, I hope everyone can see my um, screen. So hello, welcome, everybody. I can't see anyone or myself, so... um, Hopefully you can see a presentation that I've prepared for you today and I'm going to be, I'm Dr. Ali Tomlins, I'm a clinical psychologist, Um, I've had many years of experience leading psychology services for people with dementia and their families. Um, I'm really passionate, um, I'm a really passionate advocate actually of even though one person in a family is diagnosed with dementia, it is a whole family system that lives with that diagnosis and the illness and the impacts of it. And so it's really important to think psychologically and systemically about how we have positive conversations and stimulating conversations when dementia is around. Conversations aren't always easy when a person has dementia, but there are things you can do that will make them easier. And this presentation is about how to have good conversations when dementia is around. In the early stages of dementia, conversation might not be a big issue. So the person may experience mild forgetfulness or they may experience mild word finding difficulties, but really these don't get in the way of conversation and socializing too much. Unfortunately, as dementia progresses, conversation is likely to become more challenging and the illness is associated with language, memory, and information processing impairments. And all these things will make it necessary for the person with dementia and their loved ones to adjust their lifelong ways of communicating with each other. 
Um, right, I'm going to try and, oh, it works. Um, okay, so when we talk about dementia, it's really important to acknowledge that dementia is really an umbrella term for many disorders that impact on cognitive function. Um, and you can see from the slide, you know, some of the different dementia diagnoses that exist. It's really important to separate the person from the diagnosis. So, for example, rather than saying he can't concentrate, it's more about saying dementia is getting in the way of his usual concentration. And in this way, some of the frustrations around communication can be depersonalized. Word finding difficulties are often an early sign that dementia is affecting a person's ability to communicate. We've all experienced tip of the tongue phenomena and how frustrating that is. And for the person with dementia, as the illness progresses, this can become a regular occurrence. An early sign that dementia is affecting a person's ability to communicate can be when they start having word finding difficulties. Um, difficulties in language really occur in all forms of dementia, but the particular problems experienced by a person will really vary from person to person, depending on the type of dementia they have and the level of disability. So, for example, in frontotemporal dementia, often uh, verbal abilities can be the first symptom that a person develops, whereas in some types of vascular dementia, language abilities may be relatively preserved for a while. Most people with language skills, um, most people's language skills will vary from day to day and from time to time. So having good conversations can be about making the most of good days and learning how to cope with the not so good days. Dementia also affects a person's cognitive abilities. So this means a person with dementia might have a slower speed of processing thought or they might not be able to understand complex ideas like before and this can also affect their ability to communicate in conversation. It is common for people with dementia to take longer to process their thoughts and to work out how to respond to what's being said. Sometimes people with dementia also find it hard to read facial expressions or other non-verbal elements in conversation that help things flow easily. Um, it's really important that when a person experiences conversational difficulties in dementia, it's not just attributed to their dementia. So there are other factors that affect a person with dementia's ability to communicate, and these include pain, discomfort, illness, or medication side effects. And it's really important that these get checked and ruled out by a GP if you suspect that actually someone's communication difficulties are caused by something else. Um, it's also really important to get the basics right, so to make sure that the person with dementia, their glasses are the correct prescription, their hearing aids are working properly, their dentures fit them and they're comfortable. Um, common communication difficulties that are experienced really early on in somebody's dementia, um, arc uh, include word finding difficulties, repeating yourself, talking around a subject without really being able to focus specifically on things. Um, it's really common for people to be aware of their difficulties and either be in denial of, of it or really embarrassed by them. People with dementia early on can also have problems inferring things. Um, as the illness progresses, these difficulties move on to kind of can move on to mild to moderate difficulties in understanding language using words that don't make any sense because their brain because the person with dementia's brain is finding it hard to find the right word for things their brain might replace the correct word with a word that doesn't make much sense in the conversation so it can make sentences seem quite garbled sometimes Repetition is really common. Sometimes people might be talking fluently, but the content of their conversation might not be, might not make much sense or be easy to follow. Um, people might have difficulty keeping to the topic of one conversation. And as dementia progresses um, in, in the later stages, somebody might lose the ability to communicate verbally. Regardless of 
regardless of what stage of dementia somebody is in, um, we all know from COVID more than ever how important human contact and conversation is for people. And regardless of what stage of dementia someone's in, having great conversations is a basic human need that everyone should have access to. Um, so before beginning a conversation, I've used these pictures. I'm sure none of your houses look like the minimalist palace that is the first picture or are as messy as the second one. But um, it's really to highlight to you paying attention to the environment that a conversation might take place in. So make sure you're in a good place to talk. Is it quiet? Does it have good lighting? Um, there shouldn't be somewhere with too many distractions. So for example, turn the radio off in the background or is there a TV on in the background? Get the person's full attention before you start talking. And this can be about also positioning yourself where the person can see you as clearly as possible. So is your face well lit? Are you at the same level as the person? I think you should always try and be at the same level or slightly below their eye level so it doesn't look like you're standing over and domineering someone. Um, are you sitting close to the person? without sort of invading their personal space too much. For some people, eye contact is really helpful. For other people, sporadic eye contact is better because too much eye contact can feel a bit stressful. Um, make sure your body language is open and relaxed. Make sure you have enough time to have a conversation. So if you're feeling rushed or stressed, take some time to calm down. Maybe schedule in a time where you can have a good conversation and give yourself the time to have it in a relaxed way. Think about what you're going to talk about. It may be helpful to have an idea for a, for, you know, a specific topic or ready or doing an activity together. Um, you can also use the environment, the view outside, the weather, um, things you've got around the room to help you to start conversation. Um, how you talk really matters. So really important to speak clearly and calmly. It's really important to speak at a slightly slower pace and allow time in between sentences for the person with dementia to process that information and respond to you. This might seem like an uncomfortable pause to you, but it's really important for the person with dementia to be able to communicate at a pace that feels comfortable and unrushed for them. Um, use short and simple sentences. Try to communicate with the person with dementia in a conversational way. Sometimes all of us fall into the trap of asking question after question and this can start to feel like an interrogation. Um, never talk about the person with dementia as though they're not in the room or as though they were a young child people with dementia often tell me how that how much they hate this um try to laugh together about misunderstandings and mistakes it can really help humor can help bring you closer together and it may also relieve some of the pressure when conversation gets difficult but it's really important that the person with dementia never feels laughed at um, but laughing with someone can be a way to lighten the mood Try as much as you can to include the person with dementia into your conversation with others. This may be easier if you adapt what you, what you say slightly. So it might, um, you might try breaking down a statement into simpler parts. You might remind the person with dementia of a time when they shared the experience that's being discussed by a group. Being included can help a person with dementia to keep their sense of identity and feel that they're valued. And it can also help to reduce feelings of isolation and exclusion. Um, I would avoid asking too many questions or too many complicated questions. Um, people with dementia find this really hard and in my clinical experience they can become really frustrated or withdrawn or a bit despondent if, if things are too complex for them to be able to answer try and stick to one idea at a time. So giving someone choice is really important, but it's really important not to have too many options because this can get confusing and frustrating. And if the person with dementia is finding it hard to understand what you're saying, 
try breaking down your question into smaller chunks so that it's manageable for them. You might even want to phrase your question in a way that allows for yes or no or maybe answers. Um, instead of saying, I'm just about to go and make myself a cup of tea, would you like one? You might want to break it down to, can I make you tea or coffee? Rephrase rather than repeat, really important. So if the person doesn't understand what you're saying, all of us fall into the trap of just saying it again and again. And this can often cause a lot of frustration in conversation. So really, if somebody with dementia doesn't understand what you're saying, try and say it in a different way rather than just repeating it. Remember that a person with dementia, because their brain is working so much harder to have a conversation than a brain without dementia, it's really common for people with dementia to get really tired easily. And so it may be better to choose short and regular conversations rather than long conversations. Um, I would also pay really uh, close attention to your body language. So nonverbal communication is so important for people with dementia, especially as their condition progresses. Um, and it may be one of the main ways that the person with dementia communicates in the later stages of the illness. And it's really important to try and understand what a person's communicating through their body language. For example, does someone look tired or does someone look upset? And it's also really important to pay attention to your nonverbal communication. So any sudden movements or a tense, you know, face might be upsetting or embarrassing for the person with dementia because it might make them feel a bit burdensome. Um, make sure that your body language and facial expression match what you're saying. Um, don't stand too close to somebody or stand above their eye line because this might feel a bit intimidating or threatening. Actually, if you're at a good distance away and you're at their eye line or below, this often helps the person with dementia to feel more in control of the situation. And you can use physical contact to communicate your interest and enthusiasm or to provide reassurance. Um, you know, holding someone's hand or giving their shoulder a squeeze can be, can contribute to such happy conversations. How you listen really matters. Listening is a really important part of a conversation. Listening really carefully to, the, to what the person with dementia is saying and offering them frequent and regular encouragement is important. If you haven't understood someone fully, rephrase, you know, you might find it helpful to repeat what you've understood to check back that your understanding's correct. So keep rechecking. Pay attention to the person's nonverbal communication, their body language. It can often be a good indicator about how they're feeling. If the person with dementia has difficulty finding the right word or sentence, um, some people find it helpful when their partner jumps in and kind of says, oh, I know what you mean. I think you're trying to say this. Whereas other people find it really disempowering. And again, you know, with, with conversations and dementia, one size doesn't fit all and a happy conversation will be, will depend on how well you know someone. Um, I would just allow plenty of time for listening and responding. So sometimes conversations in dementia can feel a bit artificial because of the long pauses in between, but these are really necessary. When we have conversations um, without dementia around, Actually, we have conversations with a lot of interruptions. So we often go, mm -hmm, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I have that. Oh, you know, there are lots of interrupting statements. Try as much as you can to catch these and not interrupt the person with dementia when they're speaking because their brain is often working overtime to respond to the question that you've asked them. And don't dismiss a person's worries. Sometimes the best thing to do is just listen and show you're there without feeling too much pressure to have a solution to things. Um, 
know your subject. I mean, it's so important when somebody's diagnosed with dementia, particularly in the later stages of dementia, that the people who are caring for them and the people who are with them and the people they are with have a really good understanding of who they are. Um, I, as a psychologist, love doing life story work. Um, life story work is really about documenting a person's life and preferences while they still have their memories intact and can you know it's it's a great thing to do together as a way of planning for the future um they really involve focusing on a person's past and bringing their history to life focusing on strong social and cultural events that are of personal significance to a person and this can help other people to connect to the person with dementia even when a verbal communication becomes um a bit of a difficulty there isn't a right or wrong format for life story work you can divide you can divide a life story into the decades of someone's life i've seen it done when people divide um someone's life into themes like education and jobs in my opinion it's much better to divide it into decades because one of the ways that i have conversations when with people with dementia particularly in the later stages of dementia is i ask them how old they are and when they tell me they're in their 20s, for example, then I will know from their life story what type of conversation would be best to have with them. Um, and as part of the life story work, it's helpful to write down uh, about the person with dementia, their preferences and their personality. For example, how social are they? Are they the type of person who are social butterflies or are they the type of person who are more likely to have a few close good friends? Um, when was the last time they lived with other people? This is particularly important during care home transitions or when introducing carers into everyday life. Um, are they someone who enjoyed small talk? How do they deal with asking for help or when they struggle with things? How do they show happiness or frustration? What was their experience of being cared for like? This is, this is particularly important as evidence suggests that as the diagnosis of dementia progresses and people increasingly need support, it commonly triggers feelings of being cared for in the past. So for people who've had a negative experience of being cared for or looked after, these can often resurface in later life when dependency issues come into the mix. Oh, my slideshow has ended. So, uh, some closing tips. Uh, stop screen share, I guess. Uh, some closing, I guess some closing tips. Um, what I would say is conversations, great conversations in dementia are possible at every stage of somebody's dementia journey. It's really important not to just pay attention to the words someone's using, but also the emotion that they're talking with. And sometimes when the words get a bit jumbled or don't make much sense, it's more important to respond to people's emotions and not their words. So for example, someone might be saying something that doesn't make much sense, but they might seem really upset. And so you might want to respond by saying, oh my gosh, I know that makes you feel really upset. Should we have a cup of tea and just see if we can figure it out? Plan for things not to get too overstimulating. In dementia, because the brain is working overtime to sort of fill in the gaps and to interact in reciprocal social interactions, it's really important that there aren't radios or in a, you know, the environment's not too noisy or busy. Um, also remember what the person was like before dementia, you know, are you likely, are you likely to meet somebody who's always pushed this person's buttons that they never enjoyed having lunch with anyway? They're likely to get more grouchy in that case if they can't communicate in their normal way. Um, were birthdays always a stressful time for the person even pre-dementia? As carers, and I don't know kind of the mix of people with dementia and, and people who don't have dementia but live with someone with dementia that I'm talking to, but I would really say it's so important to look after yourself. It's the cornerstone of having great conversations. When someone has dementia, uh, 
it falls on the person without dementia often to take a lead in conversations and this isn't always easy. If you're doing that, please make sure that you have people you can talk to, look after your own health. If you're stressed, you're likely to have a shorter fuse. Your old ways of socialising can absolutely continue, but it just might continue in a different way to what you're used to doing. Um, the other thing I would say is just treat yourself and the person with dementia with a lot of compassion. It's okay to find things hard. If you didn't find living with dementia hard, there would be something really wrong with you. That would be really weird. It is perfectly normal and really okay to find things hard and, and really hard from time to time. Finding ways of cheering yourself up is really important. Don't expect too much from yourself in what's an already difficult time. You're going to get things wrong sometimes because, you know, in dementia care, because it affects everybody differently, it is all about trial and error. So don't feel bad to try something. If it doesn't work, don't worry. There'll be, there'll be another solution. Um, and finally, before I stop going on and on, um, in my years of working with people with dementia, um, a lot of the time dementia services talk about carer burden and carer strain and carers often say to me, nobody talks about the good things that dementia brings into our lives. And it might not be few, it might not be lots of good things, but there are some good things. And dementia carers tell me that dementia can introduce new ways of interacting with their partner. So for example, it might bring more physical affection or comfort into the relationship. People find that they sometimes have opportunities to laugh at each other more because the illness makes people do, you know, kind of shows itself in predictable and unpredictable ways. Um, it may introduce a more relaxed pace around being together. And for the person without dementia, if you were really shy and timid before, a lot, of, a lot of carers say this to me, a lot of carers tell me it's made them a lot braver. They tackle social situations more bravely and they speak out more than they ever did before. And that was the skill that maybe they didn't have before dementia came into their lives. So positive conversations are a need for every single human being in the world. And they don't have to be verbal conversations. They can be non-verbal conversations. They can be through activity. They can be through just sitting together and being together and enjoying each other's company. Okay, thank you for listening to me. Ali, thanks a lot. What I'm gonna do is, um, bear with me, I'm gonna try and switch the camera view so everyone can see Ali, and then um, I'm gonna start asking some of the questions that are coming through. Please, at the bottom, there's some Q&A. If you want anything specific asking, it doesn't matter what it is. We're, we're open to all questions. So I'm just going to try and get Ali on the screen. You do. Do I have to start my video? Because it's, oh! There we go. It's working. <laughs> Sorry, there's lots of people out there. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, I'm going to start. I'm, I'm trying to keep an eye on the Q&A button as well. So. Please ignore me if I'm up and down. Um, okay, we had a couple of um, questions before the webinar and they're COVID specific. So some of the conversations that are happening now as a result of the pandemic or yeah. people's experience. Yeah. So one of the um, most common things that comes out is obviously trying to keep explaining why why social distancing, why you can't go and see friends and family, and having that same conversation of why. Oh, do you have any practical tips at all about handling that constant conversation of keep saying why? Oh my God, this is such a challenging one for everybody. Um, no, I don't have a magic bullet for this, I'm afraid, but um, it'll be different for different people. So for example, um, Sometimes the idea of COVID or a pandemic is a really complex idea to introduce to somebody who's already having cognitive impairment. So it might be that you avoid the pandemic altogether and you might say, we can't do it today because that person's busy. You might want to blame it on the summer holidays. 
for example. You know, a lot of people have gone away for the summer holidays. Maybe shops are shut for the summer holidays. So you might want to blame it on the summer holidays. You might want to say something really simple. And again, some people might find this patronizing. So, you know, um, but you might want to say something really simple like, um, there's, there's a flu-like bug going around and the government's told us that we need to stand two meters apart for now until they find a vaccine. And most people know what flu is. So that might be an easier way of navigating kind of those explanations. So talking about it like there's, there's, a, there's an unknown flu that we don't have a vaccine for yet and we don't want to catch it. So this is the doctor's advice. Ah, uh, can't hear you. I've done it. Even though I have a note here that says mute and mute, I didn't do it. And I said that leads really nicely into um, having that conversation with a stranger. So if, if, if you've prepared with your other half about, you know, um, how you're going to keep asking, answering the why, then what a stranger's reaction to somebody not understanding and when somebody gets a bit too close and some of the negative connotations that come out of that, how do you have any suggestions how you could handle that kind of scenario? I, I think that's a really good question and it really depends on the scenario. So um, some people with dementia are really happy to say, I'm sorry, I've got dementia. I don't, I don't really understand. You know, I don't really... I got mixed up. Um, sometimes carers are really happy to say, oh, I'm sorry, my partner has dementia. And it means that, you know, it's a bit confusing sometimes. Um, we didn't, you know, it's nothing intentional. So that might be the case. Um, some people might not want their diagnosis known by public or not talked about, in which case, sometimes it just might be easiest to just take it on the chin, apologize, walk away. Um, you know, dementia is unpredictable. COVID is unpredictable. People are unpredictable. And sometimes embarrassing things will happen. And so just don't be hard on yourself if embarrassing things happen. Just, you know, sometimes you might just need to say, oh, I'm so sorry, and just move away. You don't even need to give a reason. So you're saying like, with practice, that gets a little bit easier if you just keep practicing that kind of scenario. Yeah, and you know what? I think a lot of people will have already encountered disability before in their lives. So if I'm thinking of parents, you will have had an experience of explaining why your terrible two has done something embarrassing in public. Or when uh i don't know for some people when they go to university or when they've been drunk and they've behaved in an embarrassing way in public you know you we've all encountered a situation in some way or the other that has made us um that has put us in the position where we need to explain someone's behavior to strangers what's worked in the past what's worked for you in the past what um sometimes it's best to say sorry sometimes it's best just to say to explain that someone has dementia. There isn't a right or wrong. Sometimes it's okay to feel mortified and just walk away as quickly as you can. And don't let it ruin your day because actually everyone is new to living with dementia. And the thing about dementia, because it's progressive, is the, the illness keeps changing and the impact it has on someone keeps changing. And so you're never gonna feel constantly in control of how to respond or what or, or kind of you're never going to be able to fully control a social situation yeah and then this is just the one last one on sort of the covid thing and it's to do with zoom you know i've i've had enough difficulty with this today and enough stress um obviously can you, you there? Can you hear me? me yeah can you sorry just freeze there for a minute i shall not move it's like my phone signal um Lots of people having difficulty with Zoom. So obviously you need to stay connected during the pandemic. Lots of people have been shielding, but it's been the um, person with dementia getting agitated because obviously Zoom, why is that person not in my house, not feeling comfortable with it? Are there any tips or any insights you could give on that 
use of digital? I mean, it's such a fascinating question, isn't it? Because um, do you have to even use Zoom? Is it all right to have a phone call if that's what a person's used to, if that's how they're used to keeping in contact with someone? I think the other thing about um, Zoom calls is um, it actually takes a lot of concentration to sit down, to look at someone's face and to have a sustained conversation it requires a lot of cognitive skill and a high cognitive load. And so actually it might just be um, explaining to family and relatives and loved ones that actually dementia is making it really hard to use that medium. When we talk, maybe the telephone's better, maybe an email would be better, maybe taking photos and sending that through might be an easier way to keep in touch. Um, also, it's really common actually for people who live with dementia to notice that they have sort of good points of the day and not so good points of the day or good days and bad days and so I think again just paying attention to if you're doing a zoom call when are you doing a zoom call um, try and time it as much as possible to hit someone's you know good parts of the day um, and also think of how many people you want on the zoom call because sometimes again that can be too stimulating to have lots and lots of people and lots of faces to scan and lots of um, people to respond to um, on Zoom. I think the other thing about Zoom is people don't know not to interrupt always. So you might think so dementia makes it hard for people to know when someone's finished talking and people find it hard to know when someone with dementia has finished talking because sometimes they might leave long pauses in between what they're saying and then Zoom becomes a really tough it almost becomes quite hard to have a natural conversation on zoom anyway so i mean i wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself to use zoom if you have to use it for a doctor a doctor's appointment or if you have to use it for something you can't get out of i mean try as much as possible to document it in an email through pictures if someone's finding zoom difficult um a lot of people are used to using the phone so that's always there too so find some alternative ways that better match what the person feels comfortable with. Yeah. Okay, right, I'm going to read. There's a long question. Um, Mum has late stages and I find it really hard to converse with her at the minute. She listens and tries to talk, but nothing makes sense. It was so much easier when I visited in the care home because we could just use, we used to sit down and hold hands and I'd know how she was feeling. I've tried on the phone and Skype, but find it very difficult because I don't want to upset her or make her agitated. That's kind of similar to what we were just talking about but um finding it hard to converse so finding different ways because this person can't see their mum in the care home at the moment oh so heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking and i think you know doing zoom under those circumstances can be really unsettling for somebody with dementia particularly in in sort of the, the late stages i would send photos or um, record little voice messages and get the carers to play it for your mum when I like that. yeah when she's having a good day you know or when she's having a good moment or record like a video message so rather than it being reciprocal to say actually they couldn't be here but they recorded something for you because they were thinking of you and they miss you and they love you. So, you know, just finding ways of letting your mom know that you're thinking of her without necessarily having a Zoom conversation. Okay, and then um, back to the shop scenario. Um, would you recommend that, that people wear the sunflower lanyard, lanyard when they're out to identify others in shops? What's your view on that? My view is that most people don't know what the sunflower lanyard is. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're wearing it and you understand, you get someone that knows what it is, I mean, wowee, that's a stroke of luck. Um, most people don't really know what it is. And so, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it really depends on individual preferences. Some people don't want anyone to know that they have dementia. Other people are quite happy to say, you know, sorry, my, my partner has dementia. So, 
um, but with shops, I'd really time it, especially at the moment with the queues and the disinfecting and the mask wearing and all of that stuff. Um, do you have to go to the shops together? Um, can you time it at a time when the shops are likely to be as uh, empty as possible? Less busy times? Um, is there a way you can let the sort of shop assistants know, you know, remember in a shop you can leave at any time. So if it starts getting difficult or confusing, just leave. Yeah. Don't put up with anything that's making you feel stressed. It's really confusing because the, the uh, chat's coming up. So I'm listening intently, but I'm also trying to get the next question. What? Okay. Um, I'm constantly answering the same questions and I'm so exhausted by the late afternoon. Are there any ways I can help myself managing answering repetitive questions? Yes. So many things that you might want to try. Again, it's suck it and see. Some, some of this might work, some of it might not. You might want to um, get a whiteboard where you write down the answer. And so... When somebody asks them the question, you can go, look at the board. I mean, then you are saying, look at the board repetitively. So I don't know if that's going to help you, but it, it, some people have found it really helpful. Um, for people who ask repetitive questions about the day or the date or the plan for the day, having sort of a calendar on the wall with really clearly what's happening. Uh, some people with dementia find it hard to read. So using pictures of people to show kind of who's who's coming over or who you're going to see or that sort of thing. Um, so you might want to use pictures or symbols if, if words are difficult. Um, you might, uh, some people have found it really helpful. And again, you know, depending on your situation to have a dictaphone where you record the answer. So you record the person asking a question, you record the answer and then you can say, Oh, it's on your dictaphone. And I guess it's also okay to say, I don't know, and I'm not sure. I don't um, always have yeah. to answer. Yes. You don't always have to answer. So you can say, absolutely, I don't know. I'm not sure. Let's find out together. You might say, literally, I have no idea. Maybe you can help me find out. Because I'd like to know too. Sorry, I got, I got distracted. That's no bad, isn't it? <laughs> um, my wife's dementia has recently deteriorated a lot and we've just stopped having conversations. What can I do to try and start to have conversations with my wife again? Okay. Um, so much of human communication is non-verbal. Okay. So firstly, um, I'm assuming that actually the reason the conversation has stopped is not because of a, an infection or a physical problem, um, you know, physical discomfort or pain or a UTI. Um, so it's really common when there is a sudden change to get the person with dementia checked out physically to check that there's no physical cause for, um, you know, a, a sudden change. Um, there might not be um, if, if dementia has progressed to the point where verbal conversation is really difficult, remember that um, human beings for centuries, you know, since we've existed, have been with each other and enjoyed each other's company in lots of different ways. So holding her hand, giving her a cuddle, enjoying a view together, doing an activity together, just even just looking at each other and smiling. Um, looking through photos together. You could try singing songs together because even when people's conversational abilities are um, impaired, sometimes their singing abilities remain intact. So you might, really? yeah. So you might try singing together um, and see if and see if that makes a difference. And I would also um, say to the gentleman who asked the question, I'd also say to you, um, reciprocal conversation might be a need that you have. And it's really important that you find people who can 
have reciprocal conversations with you. So even if your wife has lost her verbal abilities because of dementia, it's really important that you don't get isolated yourself. So call your friends, talk to your family, talk to your wife as much as possible. Because even though she might not be able to hear you, or answer back she is able to hear you she's able to get comfort from your tone from what you're talking about from your laughter from your body language your eye contact your touch these are all really important things to pay attention to brilliant and then um this one question i've had this quite a lot um with a number of groups you've been working with um i always find it emotional to say but um, how do i prepare myself and respond when my husband or wife no longer recognises me? Really tough one. Really tough one. Um, I don't know that I have an answer to that. Um, for some people, it never happens, right? So there are a few, in some cases of dementia, their loved ones always recognise them. And then in some cases of dementia that, uh, you know, their loved ones do forget who they are. Um, what I would say is don't worry. When someone doesn't recognize you, try and just be with them in the moment and enjoy that moment as best you can. So it's just about being in the present. So even if someone doesn't recognize you, um, how I deal with it clinically, if someone doesn't recognize me is I would say, no, I know I've got such a forgettable face, you know, but it's so nice to see you. Can I sit down and have a chat anyway? And, you know, we will often um, just spend time together in the present. I think it's very important to acknowledge as a carer, when someone doesn't recognize you, that emotional challenge for yourself and the sadness because um you know a lot of carers go through a living bereavement when you live with someone with dementia and i think it's really important that you get the right emotional support for yourself as a carer to deal with some of these challenges so that when you're talking to the person with dementia you can put on a brave face and you can genuinely enjoy their company without your grief and your sadness getting in the way. But you need to talk with a psychologist or a, or a therapist or a friend or another carer or family member, just about yourself. You need to really look after yourself as a carer. Is that about having a sort of mapping out your support network so you know who you can go to for certain things? You've done this before, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and if it's, um, you know, sometimes people don't feel comfortable to go to their families with these things, then actually go and see a psychologist. We're not very scary. We're really lovely. And uh, we are able to help. We help loads and loads of carers in our clinical work every day. Brilliant. Well, I want to end on a, on a positive. Okay. Um, so I know we've talked about you know, some bad days and good days. So there's any practical tips we can take forward from, you know, when you are capturing those good days and what you can do so then you can remind yourself when it isn't so good. Any, any tips or...? Um, do you mean like practical tips for, for what you do on good days or how do you remind yourself of the good days when you're having bad days? Bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, really great question. Um, so, when someone's having a good day, um, firstly, it's really important to acknowledge that someone might have good days and bad days, right? Particularly with diagnoses around vascular dementia, it's really common for people to have good days and bad days. Um, generally, people with dementia particularly kind of as the illness progresses, experience something called sundowning. I don't know how many people are familiar with it. So it makes sort of uh, sunset quite a tricky time 
for people with dementia. So kind of mornings generally work quite well for most people. So again, map out. So when you're planning uh, for good days and bad days, one of the things to notice is, are there any patterns to good days and bad days? Are there any times that seem better than other times? Bearing in mind that as the illness progresses, this is likely to change and you're likely to need to revise your plan, your care plan around it, okay? Um, when you're having a good day, don't go wild and squeeze in everything because it's so nice to have a good day because getting overstimulated can lead to a bad day or an elongated bad day from my clinical experience. So even on good days, it's really important to pick activities that are paced right. So if someone's having a good day, um, it doesn't mean that you do a whole day out in London and then go to a dinner party in the evening. It's, it's too much. Yeah. Um, on the good days, take as many photos as you can, record as many little videos as you can, take as many photos as you can. So when you're having a bad day, you've got some actual physical reminders of when you had a good day. Love it. Yeah. Some people find it really helpful to like on a good day, maybe write a diary together. Some carers find it really helpful to keep a diary so they remember good days. Because it's really easy when you're having a bad day to get despondent and to lose a bit of hope for the future. The other thing is, um, we all have good days and bad days, even when we don't have dementia. And so, I think it's really important for carers to realize that you might also have good days and bad days. And is there a pattern for you? So for example, um, if you're really stressed at work, do you tend to, does that have an impact on your capacity to be able to cope with things? Or if you're unwell, are you more likely to have a bad day? So it's really important to sort of be able to predict as much as possible your good days and bad days as a carer. You just turned my very bad, badly worded question into a really good answer. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, I've just seen a really nice comment pop up from somebody saying, can Ali be my psychologist, please? Oh, so that's... <laughs> um, that's all the questions that have come through. Um, so I think that's a great point to leave it. Thank you so much for your time, Ali. Okay. I found it really enjoyable. I hope everybody watching has taken something away from it. We're going to have all the resources that we've been working with Ali um, on our website, www.sortide.com, um, and lots of the practical tips on there as videos, and we're going to do uh, some resource sheets and condense everything we've talked about today. So it's going to be there, as is this video, so you can come back to it any time. Thank you, Ali, so much. It's always a pleasure. Um, take care and see you again soon. Thank you, Jill. And if anyone has any questions that they want to email you later on that you want to forward on to me, I'm really happy to um, answer some of those as well. That's great. Thank you for that, that offer. That's really perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks ever so much. I hope everyone has a really nice day. And um, thank you for sparing an hour of your time to join us today. Thank you.